welcome back to the Active <laughs> Podcast, a podcast for the real-life working screenwriter. I am Tasha Hugh. And I am Josh Hallman. As a reminder, we are on Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> you can check us out at patreon.com backslash act2writers. We'll probably be talking about this for a while, guys. We're excited. Yeah. Um, I hope you're excited, too. <laughs> <laughs> It just might be us, though. I don't know. We have three tiers available for folks. Of course, the free tier and then the $5 tier that gives you access to our online chat community, which is cool because you can ask us and a bunch of other writers who are also Patreon subscribers questions about writing, about career career building, about, I don't know, you had a wacky meeting and you want to know what that's about or you want to go to a festival but are nervous about X, Y, or Z. All these things you can bring up in this community chat, which is great. We also have a $10 tier that gives you all of that, plus some awesome bonus episodes every month, which we work really hard at. So I hope you like them. (laughs) (laughs) Same. (laughs) So check those out. You could also, of course, still just DM us with any questions you might have, or if you just want to say hi at act2writers at gmail.com, all spelled out, or on our Instagram and Twitter at act2writers.com. I'm there. I'm Story Thursday on Instagram and Tasha 3.0 on Twitter. And I am Josh Hallman on Instagram. Joshua Hallman on Twitter. Merry Christmas, Tasha. It's the week. Merry (laughs) Christmas. Tis this season. What are you drinking? So I was going to make some hot chocolate. Yeah. But then I I made some coffee and then I threw some chocolate in it. Yeah. And by the way, I thought I, like the other week, actually, I thought I invented this drink. I was like, oh, wait a minute. (laughs) Coffee and chocolate? And Nicole was like, that's a mocha. I was like, oh. <laughs> it's really good. I feel like that's just like a glimpse into Josh's just entire life. Like just the way he functions. Like, I created this, no? <laughs> this is mine, right? Look what I just did. Oh my God, I have to tell someone. <laughs> I have made fire. <laughs> <laughs> um wait did you what, what kind of chocolate did you put in are we talking like nestle powder uh some syrup like chunks of fancy ass ghirardelli or some shit yeah it's that fancy stuff i went to the grocery store and it's, it was so fancy it was in a glass bottle i don't even know the Whoa. name of it and i looked i looked through the aisles and i was like that one and i just took the fanciest one and you just take a couple scoops and you put it into uh milk or coffee or whatever it is and and now that oh, sounds great here it is what are you drinking I'm drinking like the really cheap version of what you described. <laughs> That's what I'm drinking. Coffee Mate has a delicious peppermint mocha flavor. And I'm using that. Actually, I was shamed in my last writer's room for liking Coffee Mate. The I don't know if you guys know this, but apparently writers are coffee snobs. Mm. And so everyone in this writer's room is like, oh, I, they actually were, were touting some of the um, the coffee creamers you've sent to me. Um, whatever the powder is that you sent me in. Oh, yeah. And I was you like, I it. drink coffee, mate. And there was just like silence. <laughs> silence followed by disgust. <laughs> hey, listen, you know, that's the beauty about coffee is people can love McDonald's coffee, Starbucks coffee, coffee, mate. It, it's just it just it's the nectar that is different for everybody. Thank you, Josh. Thank you for accepting me for who I am. Yeah. Co- is it vanilla coffee, mate? No, it's peppermint mocha. Oh, or pepper- tis the oh. season. Tis the freaking season. It's perfect for today's episode. It's perfect. I texted you about some this week's in writings that I have that I feel very excited to talk about. Same. So 
Do you mind if we get into it? This Week in Writing. Yes! This Week in Writing. So last night, Paul and I were out at a restaurant and they had um, the Packers game on and they had the Dolphins game on. So we got mm-hmm. to watch two two games at the same time and it was so exciting. And then I started thinking, oh, and then on top of that, a, f- a friend of mine, I went out with her um, to just kind of talk about life and writing and stuff. And she started telling me a story about her daughter who plays soccer. And usually, you know, Josh, I don't really care for stories about people and their children, but... <laughs> I'm aware. <laughs> but this one, this soccer story was like so engaging and I, I like got emotional at the end. I literally had to like wipe away a tear Whoa. as she's telling me about her how her daughter like learned how to fight back and scored a goal. And even though the team lost, it was a personal win. And I was like, what is it about sports that makes us feel this way? And if you think about sports, particularly in football, there's a language um, that kind of replicates when you talk about war or battle or something like that, right? It's, And then I started thinking about football in particular because I'm also a huge baseball fan. And I do not get emotional when I watch baseball. At no point do I ever get emotional. But I feel like there's nothing but emotions during football. And I was like trying to, as a writer, just like I think my writer brain got activated. And then I started thinking about like how much of a marketing campaign NFL has done to make their sport uber emotional. Like mm-hmm. before every game, there's always this interview kind of in the dark <laughs> with really sad music with one of the players. Tell me about your mother. Yeah. Oh, my mother was dead and like I do this for my mother. And so now you're suddenly rooting for this poor man who like grew up without a mother and is 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 doing it for her and all the other cancer patients in the world like there's always something super sort of character driven and the nfl knows that and they feed into it constantly so even the stories they'll tell during the game are very emotional character driven stories right and then you cut to baseball for instance and i think this you can copy paste what i'm about to say to like all the other sports they'll tell a story about a player but it's usually like an informational tidbit like Vin Scully is the Dodgers, was the Dodgers um, radio announcer, game announcer, and he was fantastic, considered one of the best in the business. But even his stories weren't emotional, even though he would tell maybe an emotional story about someone with their their mother who had cancer. But it was it was delivered in a way that was just purely informational. Yeah. And so I never root for those players the same way I do for the NFL guys. And then I was like, huh, I wonder if they're is sort of a correlation between how people watch NFL versus other sports. And come to find out, NFL is the sport that makes the most money in the entire world. Yeah. Entire world. More than any soccer league, more than MLB, more than NHL, more than NBA. It makes the most money in the entire world. And it is the most character-driven sport. So I'm just going to throw that out there. That's an amazing point. That's amazing. As you were saying, like a perfect example, I think also is uh, Brock Purdy for the 49ers. Yeah, keep going. Yeah. (laughs) Mr. Irrelevant, (laughs) right? And so you inherently start to kind of root for this underdog where you're like, wait a minute, Mr. His name's Mr. Irrelevant. I want him to succeed. You just automatically off the bat, you want someone like that to succeed. And 
I mean, that's myself included. Like I'm, I'm yeah. rooting for Brock Purdy and I'm a Green Bay Packers fan, you know, yeah. so that, which is crazy. Yeah, and then there's these little details too. Like he still lives in his old apartment with his roommate, even though he makes like <laughs> hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. There was like a post when he was on his bye week of him, like on the farm farming. And you're like, this guy, <laughs> he's so great. Like it's all these little character moments along the way. It's like this extended. And that's the reason why I like wrestling. And this is now a new episode. But uh-huh. it's all about like the characters and the stories. And then you have this action that makes you feel things as well. And like, this is just, this is what writing is about. No, totally. That's an amazing point. And I just want to add one more thing to it is before a lot of the games, they'll do the history of the teams. And and it, sometimes it throws me off. Sometimes it doesn't. For instance, as a Green Bay Packers fan, they'll say, okay, the Bears and the Packers have been playing together since 1925. History and this and that. And I'm like, who cares about what happened between the... I'm like living in now. Like, I don't care about the past, <laughs> but you do start to kind of like... They try. They really try to like create this 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 grudge match between teams, and then that's kind of like the plot. And then you're talking about the character driven aspect of it, and then you put those together, and yes, your emotions take over, and yeah, you're pacing around the TV, causing fights yeah. with your family. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> that's a great point, though. We might have to yeah. dissect that. It's fascinating. I love it. Okay, I'm gonna jump into mine. Okay. The other week, the Golden Globes were announced, Tasha. Yeah. First of all, shout out to Alex Convery. Shout out to Alex Convery for being nominated for air. Jesus, good job, dude. Great job. That's important, Alex, but here's something just a little bit more on my (laughs) mind. (laughs) The Golden Globes have introduced the tentpole category. Josh is dead now. He's so happy he's dead. <laughs> I've dreamt of this moment. I, I feel like I'm the only person who likes this category. The tentpole category is like, all right, we're nominating John Wick. We're nominating Mission Impossible. We're nominating Guardians of the Galaxy. These are tentpole movies. Listen, it's about time. This finally puts me in contention to win a Golden Globe. <laughs> Bring it to the Oscars, baby. I'm not going to lie. I am now more excited to watch. Yes. I'm, I may tune in now, actually. It's brilliant. It's it's so smart because, listen, I think award shows have problems, right? They, they have some issues. But if you are a casual viewer or someone you just want to see, you want to watch a little celebrities and you want to root for your movie, you know, you're going to be rooting for, oh, my God, I love Guardians 3 and Chris Pratt and, oh, Tom Cruise. J- wait, John Wick is nominated for a, for a what? And so I just, there's something to it. And by the way, here's the other issue, is that these tentpole movies basically keep the entertainment industry afloat and moving. It's so true. And Preach. I mean, listen, I don't know. It's like we should recognize the people who are capable of making these monster hits because it's not easy. And we've seen this with the Marvels and... Some other Disney movies that haven't done too well. But then you have these other movies, Fast and Furious or whatever it is, that are like making a billion dollars. That's a big freaking deal. It's a big okay. deal. Okay. I'm just really excited about it. And You know who I bet is not excited? Martin Scorsese. Martin Scorsese, <laughs> yes. No, I'm super stoked. It's, it's, it is it's going to make them more fun for a lot more people. I now feel more invested because while I, of course, love dramatic filmmaking that's not all that filmmaking is 
and it never has been that. So finally, that's all. All right. That's it. What else, Tasha? Do you have something else in This Week in Writing? I have one more. It's super tiny. No. Let's go. <laughs> so, so Paul and I are going to have a Royal Rumble party wrestling. <laughs> and Paul, like, copy-pasted the, the sort of party description he used on the last invite we did, like, before the pandemic. And he called it the Royal Rumble survival pool because we all bet on it. Mm. And I and I was like, why did you put the word Survivor in here? It doesn't make any sense. It's a Royal Rumble pool. Survivor Series is another. It's another pay per view. It's not what they said. Like, why did you put Survivor in here? He's like, I don't know. I'm like, wait, what? You don't know why you put a word in here? He's like, I I don't know. I I just did. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> you giving him. And notes? there's a quote. <laughs> I gave him notes like. What is the economy of this language? And <laughs> there's a quote by Hunter S. Thompson that says, "Not a wasted word." <laughs> and I just want everyone to know this is how terrible it is to be married to a writer. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Paul, and he knows exactly what I was getting at because he just smiled at me, kind of like a teenager smiles at you, like they don't give a fuck what you think, Mom. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, I put it in. What are you gonna do about it?" I was like. <laughs> Nothing. I guess we'll just, this is now what it's called. <laughs> but I just want you to know, you had no reason for putting this word in here and suddenly it's here. And it's I just don't eat get at it. You. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's like, it's like I can't, I don't, how do people just not know why they pick words? <laughs> what, when is the Royal Rumble? Uh, it's January 27th. Okay. I just so, want to, uh, let me know if it changes. I'm curious. Oh, you're not coming. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the worst. But Josh RSVP'd to my Christmas party and then didn't come, guys. <laughs> but listen, I, I'm Team Paul. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into our Christmas episode. Okay, let's go. Okay. Yes, I'm so excited. We're talking about our favorite Christmas movies, why they're our favorites from a screenwriter's point of view. And then maybe we'll get into... Like movies we wish we had written for Christmas. Yeah, maybe we'll get into our pie in the sky dream Christmas movie we wish we'd written. All this is happening right now, and I'm really excited about it. Yeah, you want to start us off? Okay. Set, yeah, set I'll the do tone. It. I'll do it. We're doing our top three. Number three, it's a wonderful life. Oh, it's a wonderful life with Jimmy Stewart. It's just, it's so it's. It is like the feeling of Christmas bottled into one black and white movie. It's so perfect. It's it's just, it takes you on a journey, guys, if you've never seen it. The front first act is a little slow. It's a little slow, particularly for modern audiences, because it's a lot of runway to understanding the life that Jimmy Stewart has and dreamed of having and all of the hope bottled inside one human being when they're young and have nothing but dreams ahead of them and then they fucking crash those dreams like so many of us have had happen to them in our lives they crash those dreams and the second act is like him reeling the top of it is him reeling from having lost this person this amazing person that he could have been and so he makes a christmas wish to to die to just like get it over with and to just leave and an angel comes and 
helps him out. It's kind of like uh, uh, the Ebenezer Scrooge story, you know, yeah. where it's sort of like you get to revisit parts of your life and your life starts to come into perspective in a new way. And I think the reason why it embodies Christmas to me is because I it feels like that's what we do every year. At the end of every year is our time to look back and, and say, man, I didn't make it as far as I wish I had. Or man, I, I regret having made those choices. Or I made these great choices and I'm so proud of myself. So it's it's that time in our lives encapsulated in one really feel-good movie. Wow. That's beautifully said. I haven't seen It's a Wonderful Life in like, uh, maybe since I've been a child. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's not one I watch every year religiously, but I always say I will. <laughs> Paul still hasn't seen it, so it is it is my... It is my goal this year to have Paul finally watch this movie. Could they remake that movie? Look, you can never replace Jimmy Stewart is the tough part. Like who in your mind, actor-wise, like could embody Jimmy Stewart? Tom Holland? Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. A little Tom Holland action running around. A little gosling. Tom Holland, I think, works because there's an innocence to him. Yeah. That Jimmy Stewart always really encapsulated. Oh. I mean, hey. You're in? I feel like Tom Holland's my, like, kind of go-to for, like, who would be Marty McFly? I don't know. Tom Holland? Hey, who could be this guy? (laughs) Tom Holland? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's a beautiful story. It's a wonderful life. This is making me realize that we're probably going to have different lists. But I bet our number one is the same. I'm sure it is. I I do want to say that, again, we're doing our top three. And much like our uh, Halloween episode, I feel like Christmas movies, you know, it's tis the season. It's a feeling. It's something in the air. It's what, this is my personal thing, is like what I have on in the background. I'm going to just watch it a little bit. I'm just feeling good about life, which brings me to my number three. The Santa Claus. Yeah. Starring Tim frickin' Allen. Yeah. Okay. If there's anyone out there who hasn't seen The Santa Claus, you're insane. Go see this movie. And I know Tim yeah. Allen's getting a little hate right now, but you have to just kind of shove whatever bad press is happening in the world of Tim Allen and just focus on 1993. And this was a peak where it's this guy who knocks Santa Claus off the roof, kills him, and then proceeds to take take the reins as Santa because he puts on the suit. And it's it's a it's a you're gonna like this, Tasha. It's a father-son story. <laughs> it <He's>, is. <laughs> it is. And to me, it's just such a beautiful story, and it's fun, and you get the elves, and it balances these real-life issues with, uh, you know, the fun of Christmas. And, you know, I was looking at it, and I was like, who wrote this movie? And it was a, a team of writers. Uh, his name's Leo Benfituri. I can't even pronounce this guy's last name. And Steve Rudnick. And they also did Space Jam, which was like their claim to fame also in Kicking and Screaming, the Will Ferrell movie. I never saw that. But it was just nuts because they were like crushing it in the 90s for like these kind of like feel-good kid movies. And I'm not really too sure what what happened afterwards, which is like a standard screenwriting, you know, thing where you, you know, I don't know. you got to bring us down? I'm not. Okay. But the Santa Claus is a freaking classic. There is now, yeah. there were two sequels, there's a TV series, and um, that's it. Number three for me, The Santa Claus, Tim Allen. Amazing movie. That's a, amazing. It's incredible. Yep. 
All right, number two for me is Scrooged, starring Bill Murray. Listen. Listen. I love Scrooged so much. I love this movie. I mean, the story of A Christmas Carol is always good. Every version could be on this list easily. I love them all. But this is, like, the best version. He's so, like, his embodiment of modern curmudgeon is so fantastic. And I just, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to imagine if this movie would have been as good if someone who was not Bill Murray was in it or if it would have just sort of been average. Mm-hmm. Just just another Christmas Carol knockoff. But I don't, I mean, I think it's, I think Bill, Bill Murray makes this movie. It's fucking Bill Murray. Too. So I don't know. It's just a Christmas Carol. It really is. But he's just so fantastic and so fucking funny the way he reacts to everything and his improv in it is just really good. You can tell so much of it is improv. I mean, go watch it. If you think all the other ones are sort of tired and dusty because they all take place in the, whatever, 1800s, Victorian eras, like, go see this one because it's not that. I love this movie. So I saw it, obviously, when I was when I was a kid. And I remember just, I loved it then. And Bill Murray is like, I freaking love Bill Murray. Freaking love Bill Murray. There hasn't been like a... Uh, take like Bill Murray ever since then. Maybe that I'm missing. Like there's like a of a Christmas Carol. Yeah, a spirited. Yeah. Or, yeah. No, I mean, and I was thinking of like adapting a Christmas Carol now. Like the what makes Scrooge so fun is it takes the expected things you know so familiarly from Christmas Carol. Like all the ghosts are a certain way, death is a certain way, and it just pivots it. So it not only makes it modern, but it really just sort of taps into something new and fresh for each ghost, for example, or the way, like, I forget which one she is. I guess the the ghost of, I mean, the modern one, the yeah. the, the woman, like, fairy-esque woman who sort of kicks them in the balls and, like, takes them places. Yeah. Like, that's just a funny take on what the ghost could be. And I think if you're someone who likes to adapt stories, this might be a good one to watch as how... They were both taking big leaps from the original material as well as staying close enough to the original material that um, it was still comfortable, right? It was still like, it still satisfied what A Christmas Carol does for you and why you want to watch it at Christmas, but it was totally new as well. That's a great point. It just, it really flips it on its head and I love it. I love it. (sighs) Okay. You ready? I think so. I'm actually a little surprised that this... It might not even be on your list. For hmm. me, my number two, Elf with Will Ferrell. Do you not like yeah. Elf? What was that reaction just now? You don't like I Elf? I hate Elf. I hate it. What? Like, I don't even, I'm not even just indifferent to it. Like, I actively dislike it. Whoa. <laughs> what do you hate about it? He's so dumb and annoying. He's Nobody an would like him. Nobody would actually like him in real life. And like his love story with what's her deuce? No. She's half his age. She's way cooler than him. Stop. I feel attacked. So <laughs> I love this movie. I just watched I it recently. I love this movie so much. I don't, I, don't, I, I don't know if I should talk about why I love the movie or if I should just defend it like, like it's an <laughs> NFL team. Um. Wow. Okay. Why do well, you like it? That might, might help me understand psychology. It's just so innocent. It's like young Will Ferrell, innocent Buddy the Elf. He gets raised by. Hey, my God! It's another father-son story. Oh, it is. 
surprise, surprise. Oh man. But that's not I don't I don't think that's why I, I like I like Elf. I just find it to be what? completely innocent and very funny. And it just it's another one of those movies that I can just have on in the background and I'm just watching Elf at all times. It's just it's just pure. It's a pure movie. I think if anyone else but Will Ferrell was in it, I would like it because I think the story is is exactly what you're saying. I love the story behind it where like he makes people find their youthful joy and yeah. that's always fun to me. But no, he's I, I think I'm not this is a, a Will Christmas Ferrell classic fan. Really? Like it's I have to pick and choose my my Will Ferrells. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. I'm not like Listen, I'm not I mean, I love Will Ferrell, but I'm not. Yeah, I'm not gonna defend every single movie he's ever been in. It's just not my cup of tea. Is he like a often. Jim Carrey for you? I love Jim Carrey. I do too. I love Jim Carrey. I will see every Jim Carrey movie, and I think he's amazing in all of them. So, no, he. I don't know. Like, there, there, there's a certain humor that he can go into that's just not mine. And then there's somewhere I know he's a genius comedian. I like even in the movies that I don't like, he's a genius in them. It's just not my cup of tea. Um, and then there are sometimes there's like a Venn diagram where like, oh, over here is some Atasha stuff that like he really, he really hits home. And Elf is not one of them. Okay, okay, I gotta figure this out in a bigger picture. I gotta get you. I gotta figure out Atasha Will Ferrell mix like a convergence <laughs> of the worlds, man. But. This is all to say I love Elf. And I think it embodies yeah. the Christmas spirit. And by the way, there's that Netflix series where it talks about uh, how movies are made, how this was made. Mm. I forgot what it was called. But they talk about Elf, and the making of it is incredible. It's awesome. Oh. Like a lot of it was like running gun style. They were just kind of on the street. Will Ferrell doing his thing. I love Elf, and I feel like you don't. I, so let's just move I'm on. a minority, so I get it. I, okay, moving on. I think we're going to have an overlap here for number one. I think there's no way we can't possibly have Home Alone as our first movie. Okay, it's my number one, too. <laughs> Let's just... It is the best Christmas movie of all time. Yeah. I don't even know if we need to explain why. It's just so obvious. <laughs> and it's never, it's never been captured again. Never. Can't top it. You can't sequel it. It's so pure in its amazingness. I've met people who liked Home Alone 2 more than they liked Home Alone 1. Shut your mouth. Yeah. Why? I can't answer that. It's because it doesn't make any sense. No, yeah. it's a, I mean, the defending of the house, it has all the things. And I'm curious, actually, we watched it as kids, obviously. And as kids, the wish fulfillment of being able to defend your house with your toys and your and your just ingenuity, just stuff that's around the house. And also, I remember very clearly the wish fulfillment of being completely alone in the house. Yeah. And it's not the like crazy scene where he's like, ah, and he's screaming. That's not the wish fulfillment for me, weirdly. Maybe this is a thing for therapy. Um, <laughs> it was the scene where he gets groceries by himself, comes home and makes himself a nice dinner. And he's wearing his little Christmas sweater. Yeah. And he like everything is set up and he's super proper. Like I, for me as a kid, I was like, oh, like this is what being an adult is like. And that's so cool. He gets to be an adult and he's so mature, but he's also a fun kid. And that's what I wanted to be. Yeah. And I mean, just so great. That's what I think the brilliance of Home Alone is, is it shows him growing up and he's taking on adult responsibilities. 
And there's also the story of the mom who's kind of coming back. She gets stuck with John Candy. There's this really like that son and mother combination where she's like, I will do anything for my son. And that adventure's happening. There's some really like beautiful moments in Home Alone that mm-hmm. I think kind of get overlooked because we just talk about it as like, oh my God, it's this kid who starts beating up the wet bandits. And mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, it's it got a lot of heart. Freaking Home it Alone. It does. And it has like horror too. <laughs> like yeah, the the creativity to put that in with the the man next door whose name I'm forgetting at the moment, but he has like a a, a myth yeah. about him in the neighborhood. It's like he killed his family and he mixed them up in his bucket of salt and yeah, the um, uh, South Bend shovel slayer. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> but he ends up being like this really kind old man who 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 help, like literally saves Macaulay Culkin's life. It's so great. Totally. And you know what else is interesting is, do you remember when Macaulay Culkin does this uh, laundry and then there's like a mm-hmm. furnace in the basement yes. that talks to him and, and it's his imagination. That's really creative. And then he kind of arcs and he tells it to shut up. And it's just all these little moments of him becoming this grown up, which I think is is great. It's, it's super well done. It's hard to write a movie that's aspirational to kids because we forget what's aspirational to kids the older we get. So like even thinking of that scene that we love with the mac and cheese at the table, like I'm mm-hmm. sure that was written not to be a wish fulfillment moment for kids, but just ends up being that. Mm-hmm. Like on its own, it's just a great illustration of his arc from being like crazy wild in the house and not knowing what to do and misbehaving and just being a terrible kid to like being a very responsible human who can take care of himself. Um, but as a kid, yeah, you just, you treat that very differently. So I don't know. It, but it's it's interesting because it comes up for me a lot because oftentimes if you're making the kind of big movies that Josh and I like to make and um, there's something called four quadrant movies right or TV shows where um, it's meant to hit every quadrant of the audience including kids like they want to bring families people yeah. with kids into movies to come see it and so as a writer you have to consider you're not just like taking out the curse words and taking out the blood you have to have moments in your screenplay and your movie or, or show that feel wishful filling for children as well as mature enough for adults to watch and enjoy and it is a very difficult balance if this is something you're interested in watch some of these movies we're talking about home alone does it expertly and it manages that balance but yeah it's a super tough skill not everyone can can do it and two just two things number one john hughes the writer who's the freaking master we've talked about him before on the podcast john hughes is unbelievable just go look at his imdb look at his movies he was crushing it through like 1980 to like 1995. And then I always find this interesting. You were just talking about how difficult it is to kind of make kid movies and tap into that kid spirit. And I was thinking about Chris Columbus, who directed Home Alone. He also did the first two mm-hmm. Harry Potters. And yes, he did. Countless other, well, not, maybe not countless, but a lot of other child movies. Mm-hmm. And it's, that's such a skill to have and you become the brand. If you're like a writer director, you become that person who's like, oh, that guy did that. He knows how to execute. And then you do it. It is so mm-hmm. hard to do to be an adult making a child movie. Yeah, because you could make you could easily make I think like the the Home Alones without Macaulay Culkin tend to be just kid movies. They don't feel like they're made for adults in mind. There's not there's not like a dramatic factor. There's not a big character arc that's like that's serious. The character arc is sort of just thrown in there. And mm-hmm. that's partly writing and it's partly directing, right? Chris Columbus is very good at finding 
the sort of mature, elevated um, character story. He's able to just hang on these moments and direct these kids in such a way um, that he he really captures something that adults can tap into. And or there's like Spy Kids, which is again very kiddish, not for mm-hmm. not for adults. Um, which those each of those movies we're talking about could be if it was just pivoted slightly or or executed slightly differently. So. Yeah, I mean, it's something to it's something to think about. It's a really, really hard balance. I'm actually like pitching on something right now where everyone who's pitching, they're having a problem where it's too childish. And mm-hmm. I think the reason why and something that the producers are noticing is that everyone's pitching plot, 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 plot first. Whereas some of my favorite moments from Home Alone are going to be character moments. And like, there's plot happening, of course. It's like him... It, Again, the dinner scene, him with the the pizza guy and doing the <laughs> yeah um, the the mob video to scare the pizza guy, but they're like they're really like character fun moments rather than plot things that he's just like super clever. So I don't know, it's it, character, character, character. I guess. No, I agree. I think that's the way to approach it. Is I I think you have to write something as though you're not writing it for kids. Yeah, I think so too. You know, and then and then just kind of work backwards and PG it up. Yeah. Yeah, I think you can like PG it up in other passes, but your original yeah. idea shouldn't be like kids. No. Yeah. Okay. So those were our top okay. three. One controversial them. one in Elf. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. I'm I'm actually really excited. Yeah. What is a Christmas movie that you wish you had written? Okay. I'm happy we're here. Yeah. There's an obvious one, Tasha. Okay. And I'm not gonna even say it, but okay, maybe I will. I'm gonna, here's the thing. Okay. I don't know if we're in the Die Hard is a Christmas movie conversation. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But I'm not choosing that one. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm pivoting to another Shane Black movie called Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Oh, interesting choice. I don't... It, listen, if Die Hard is a freaking Christmas movie, then Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is a Christmas movie because it just sure. takes place over Christmas. Yeah. Or I could just say Iron Man 3. Any Shane Black movie. Or right. Lethal Weapon. Or, oh my God, or Lethal Weapon. Of course, I made this about like an action comedy, but if anyone hasn't seen Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, highly recommend checking it what out. Is, what's the log line for people? Oh, that's a great question. Basically, it's about um, a criminal, Robert Downey Jr., who pretends to be an actor and he gets matched up with, and like he gets looped into like this Hollywood plot and he gets matched up with Val Kilmer. So it turns into a buddy comedy. There's a woman involved in it, but it's a very character-driven, um, that's not the logline, it's a very character-driven uh, action comedy movie with Shane Black, so it's like sharp, and there's just kind of like these crazy little moments that happen here and there, and just check it out if anyone wants to see a good character. Action, uh, character, action Christmas movie. Yeah, good Good logline for me. <laughs> Loglines are harsh. <laughs> you know um, okay. You want me to read the long line real quickly? I do, yeah. Okay. After being mistaken for an actor, a New York thief is sent to Hollywood to train under a private eye for a potential movie role, but the duo are thrown together with a struggling actress into a murder mystery. Cool. Have you not seen it? I've seen it, but only once and okay. only when it came out. Okay. It's based off of a novel, which I didn't know until just now. Interesting. The more... Josh and I get into movies that we love from the past as well as stuff that comes out now. Like, it's fucking all IP, guys. Yeah. IP is the way to go. Yeah. Okay. Tell me yours. Okay. 
my movie that I instantly wish I'd written as soon as I saw it, as soon as I saw the trailer, Batman, starring oh. Mel Gibson. Oh, oh, that's right. <laughs> it came out in 2020, where Mel Gibson plays um, Santa Claus, who is jaded. He's gritty. He's fucking. Mel Gibson, um, with the beard and everything. The beard now makes sense. <laughs> you watch this movie. And he like lives out in the woods, of course, like a North Pole type situation. There's no magic or anything. He's just like a farmer. Um, he struggles with ennui. He just like doesn't know why he's living his life. There are production issues with the elves at, at mm-hmm. some point. Um, and then he ends up on this like John Wickian <laughs> revenge mission. I love um, it. because I think I think the story and it's been a lot it's been since 2020 since I've seen it so it, it bears rewatching um, this kid who gets coal is like fuck Santa I'm sending an assassin after Santa because he's like a like a mobsters kid or something like that and he sends an assassin after Santa and so Santa has to like plow through all of these hitmen who are coming. I think Walter Goggins is, is one of the hitmen. And and then like confront the kid at the end. And it's so good. It's so bloody. The action is fantastic. It's so funny. It's not cheesy, which I think these sort of action Christmas movies can be with like their cheesy phrases that they try to make clever. Um I think yeah. I've never seen Violent Night. Um, but I feel like that's a version of this movie that's not the kind I like. It's funny you say that because I was going to say, I feel like your fat man is my violent night. Yes, I think it is. I think you would have written violent night, <laughs> which is just, it's like more heightened, it's funnier, and then fat man is grittier and just like dark. It's real dark. That's a perfect, like, all right, Tasha, if Josh, here's the concept. They're the same kind of concept. What's your version? And we come away. That's the two different scripts. That's actually a perfect. Um, oh wow! Yeah. Right up. I, I have to be honest. I haven't seen all of Fat Man. I've like seen snip. Like I've started it, had to stop, picked it back up. I think I missed parts of it, but I'm yeah. gonna rewatch it. But so that good. is a perfect. I'll, Tasha I'll watch movie. Violent Night. I've not actually seen it. I've only seen the trailer. Oh, I think you you guys are gonna like it. Yeah. I think so. Oh man. I was also like, let's spitball a Christmas movie. But mm-hmm. that seems really difficult to do. Okay, but I have some ideas. <laughs> yes. Yes. Let's do it. <laughs> I don't have a plot. I don't know what the story is, but All it's right, definitely it's Harry Potter esque. Okay. Harry Potter esque entrance into the North Pole, where the entire place is very magical. And it's, you know, whatever. Insert emotional story here about whatever takes us through this space. But I don't think my Christmas movie is about like oh god we gotta deliver toys and about like christmas goodness i think it should feel it should make you feel good and hopeful like all the stuff we talked about that makes us feel good and it's a wonderful life etc like it should have that christmas goodness in it but i don't think it's about that like i don't want it i don't like fat man fat man is just a movie about this guy who has lost all will to live who through this process like rediscovers his sort of joy of of living but he just happens to be Santa Claus. Like, I feel like that's the version of the story I would put. But it's very Harry Potter. So this North Pole is extremely magical. It's like um, Hogwarts. It's, a, it's, it's Hogwarts. And you get a little bit of that in the Santa Claus, which is a huge reason why I love that movie. Like, mm-hmm. one of the details I always remember is the little elf who's, like, 500 years old, but she looks like she's 
10 and she gives him a hot chocolate recipe and it's like the best hot chocolate he's ever had and she's like oh i've been working on it for 100 years or something like that like those little details are so fun but it's that times one million for the movie wow so it's a harry potter-esque set in the north pole yeah and santa i'm sure has magical powers so does his wife the elves will as well in their own way everyone will be magical and it's not like it wouldn't be the typical met like oh i can go down a chimney it's not that. It's the, it would be something cooler, more sophisticated, more complex. Listen, I, I don't mean to completely detour from your Christmas idea, but for some reason, this just got, I just had an idea and I thought maybe it was where you were going, but okay. it's 180 <laughs> degrees the opposite direction. And we can come back to yours, but I just want to quickly no, spit about something. So it was basically Die Hard set inside of the North Pole. And I was thinking of like, if there was like a little terrorist elf who put a, like a bomb in one of the um, toys that are going to be delivered for Christmas and it's floating throughout Santa's like village in North Pole and then this team gets brought in to figure out where this bomb is before it goes off and basically blows up the North Pole and uh, kills all of Santa and his elves. Oh my God. dark now <laughs> but it's fun it's a fun it's, it's, it's a fun one it's you fun know for some movie. reason when you were like all right it's harry potter this magic i was like whoa what if there's like an investigator harry potter and i for some reason was like that's oh, cool wait, harry potter magic this little guy comes in no one knows why he's there but he's actually there because there's like there's a traitor inside of the north pole and it's just so happy because everyone's magical oh my god <laughs> Okay. Okay. Well, I don't know. I love Christmas. Uh, I love love the holidays. I'm going to (laughs) immediately, even though I have to work, I'm just going to, I have a TV right here. I'm going to just put on something. I'm not putting on Elf. They literally are playing that back to back, by the way. I I can't. I just can't do it. Something else is going on. I I have to say one more movie I don't like in the Christmas echelon, which is a little controversial. Oh. I'm I'm not the biggest Christmas story guy. I do not like Christmas Story either. Okay. I'm glad we can yeah. find some common ground on that one. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, we don't even need to say anything. Yeah, not not good. Okay, so those okay. are our, our Christmas movies, what we wish we would have written. Happy Christmas, Joshua. Happy holidays, all the things. Yeah, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, <laughs> or Happy Christmas. <laughs> Quote of the day. As a writer, you should not judge. You should understand. Ernest Hemingway. Please remember to rate and subscribe. Follow Act 2 Writers for more awesome writing stuff. You can follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday on Instagram or on Twitter at Tasha 3.0. I'm Joshua Hallman on Twitter, Josh Hallman on Instagram. And as always, the Act 2 podcast is a production of Act 2, a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This episode was edited by Paul Lundquist. Mm-hmm.